The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. As um, I said last week, uh, I would give a talk today on um, generosity, perfection generosity just happens to fit in the cycle of, of um, a series of uh, Friday day-longs I'm doing on the Ten Perfections. And um, it was kind of, kind of nice that it happens to fall on the Volunteer Appreciation Day. They were talking about generosity. And also there's another uh, wonderful thing I would like to do here before I give that talk. IMC has, um, for now for the last two, three years, has had a teen program. And um, at least one of those teens in that program has been part of our youth program since she was, I don't know how old she was, but seven or something and uh, quite young, and uh, she's kind of grown up with this. And so it's kind of a nice thing we do. And uh, one of the things, one of the way, nice ways I think of it is that uh, the practice that we do, which is, you know, the point of the practice is not just to do the practice. Uh, the point of the practice is to really develop some of the beautiful qualities of heart that are possible, um, uh, that occur in a warm heart of uh, qualities of liberation, of compassion, of peace, of friendship, kindness, generosity, uh, wisdom. And, uh, and these beautiful qualities, it said, are passed on from generation to generation by warm hand to warm hand. And so by having these, um, you know, these uh, kind of youth programs at IMC, uh, we kind of, you know, in a way, it's kind of passing it on from warm hand to warm hand. And um, we have, uh, now that we do this two or three, these three years of the team program, um, they go up through high school, and now we have three of them who are graduating. And so I'd like to, in, in a few moments, introduce them to you, those three graduates of our team program. Uh, but uh, partly to introduce you, but also to welcome them, welcome them into the adult community that we have here, and to make it clear to them that they're welcome they should, if they want, this can be one of their homes, this one of their communities for them, and that, um, and that, uh, not only maybe hopefully that they received the warm hand transmission, but now in this community they can also be part of the warm hand that passes it on. And in that regard, I'll tell. Uh, well, not for me, it was a beautiful story. I told them a few minutes ago. One of the one of the teens who's not graduating, the one who did it since she was seven, when I started it kind of a children's program in Palo Alto in the, long ago. Maybe she was less than seven, maybe she was five, I don't know, she was, it was long ago. Um, uh, she came to the family retreat at Spirit Rock this uh, August. And I've been going for many years with my son, and she's been going for many years. It's a beautiful four or five day program retreat for families and kids. And she's graduating from that program because she's, I guess, turned 15. And... Um, and so they had a little graduation ceremony, kind of a little, and uh, last evening. And um, as part of that, she was going to offer um, a guided meditation. So here, you know, she'd been receiving it for so long, and now she was going to offer it back to the community. So she, she did this beautiful guided meditation to everyone. And um, one, of the, one of the nice things was she had everyone lie down. So that, was, that helped a lot for the kids. And... Um, so then, um, so that was nice, but as soon as she was over, or as soon as it was kind of like whatever was happening was over, um, that made sense, my 12-year-old son 
rushed up to me and put his arms around me. And he said, that was the best meditation I've ever done. <laughs> and, I, and I kind of went, wow, you know, these things come around. You know, here we passed it on to her and now she was passing it on further. And so who knows how it all comes around, but uh, it's been, been very fortunate to have uh, a group of teens coming to IMC and sharing themselves and finding value here, finding some medita- value in meditation, but also finding value in community and sharing and discussing their lives. Uh, one of them said to me that it was kind of like a reset every month to come here and uh, just to find some peace and kind of get clear about things and then go back into her life. And um, so why don't the three of you come up here and I'll introduce you. We can maybe sit here in the front if you'd like here. So um, on, the, on the far left there is Elena, and then there's Josh and uh, Eleanor. And um, they're all going to college. And actually, two of them started a few weeks ago, and now they're back visiting. And uh, they've been doing it for a few years, this teen program. And some of them found it because their parents are involved here. And one of them found it because, I guess he was interested, right? You said you were interested somehow in something like this. And his mom did some search. His mom doesn't come here, but she, she, she said, I found something for you. And so he came. And uh, anything that you, you guys would, you know, I'm putting you on a spot, I didn't tell you this, but anything you guys... <laughs> Anything you would like to say? He does this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to, but anything occurs to you to say? All right. Um, I would just like to say that um, the Dharma Teens group has really benefited all of us greatly, and um, we all really invite you if you know anyone who you think would benefit from it, to come and join us. It's every first Sunday of the month from 5 to 7. And um, we, I think one of the most beneficial things for us is the discussions that we have because they're very based on the interests that we have and things we may not feel comfortable discussing otherwise. And um, it's really touched our lives, even though it is my mom leading <laughs> But um, <laughs> But I still um, think that it's a really great experience. <laughs> I thought I should give that disclaimer. <laughs> but, um, but I think that we've all found value in it, and we've all found value in the practice. And I have come here for, um, for about half a year. I did come to these Sunday sittings. And... Um, Definitely, this has been a great experience, even though I'm going to Santa Cruz, so I'll be over the hill, but in another um, circle of Buddhism, hopefully, and to continue this practice and meditation. And um, I just want to thank you all for being supportive and supporting this kind of community for us. So, um, so then... Um, I want to welcome you, kind of in a sense, from your teen years at IMC into the 
the so-called adult part of IMC. And uh, we'd like you to please feel at home here and feel like it's your community and that it's a place that is a resource for you, a refuge for you. Uh, you know, anytime that you feel you have that need and that we'll be here for a long time and, and if it uh, serves you, uh, we would love to have you back and not only to benefit from what's being offered here, but also maybe to come back and to offer what back to the community what you have as well. I think it's part of, part of being a practitioner, being in this practice is not only receiving, but also giving. So uh, what I'd, like to, I'd like to give you a, a little present to each of you. It's a little uh, Buddha, and it's, um, it's I, I guess it's kind of like plaster of Paris or something. And um, so it's complete in itself, but it also can be painted. So um, each of you are complete in yourself. And each of you will create a life for yourselves as well as you go forward from here. So you might keep this as it is, or you might paint it in a way that uh, is meaningful for you. So, thank you. Welcome. topic then is generosity and um, I reflecting on generosity I feel that I perceive that generosity is part and parcel of our social life uh, that um, it's much probably a much bigger part of our life than as often we give credit to a tremendous amount of ways in which people offer themselves freely to support others in, um, in seen and unseen ways and as I said some people uh, I think the other day um, one example, for example, is um, uh, is what new parents discover. My parents did this for for me. <laughs> I had no idea. A tremendous amount of giving of oneself that um, late at night, or you know, middle, you know, all kinds of ways that new parents parents give, and and it's not often not appreciated so much by by the children. Why would they? It's like. And, um, and so that's just representative of some tremendous amount that happens in our society. Um, here in Buddhism, it's considered a primary virtue, a primary practice. It's, in that sense, it's also foundational. But as a perfection, which is the theme for this series for the year, um, it's uh, when it beco- uh, is to just explore how these virtues, like generosity, become supreme or become, reach the highest level possible. And um, so not just take what, uh, you know, what we happen, the level of generosity we happen to have and just live with that, but how, how is it beneficial and how can we develop it um, to the highest possible potential within us? And it's said that when these, uh, when these qualities like generosity develop the highest potential, they merge on, into two things. They merge with liberation, which is the, one of the often associated with the highest goal of Buddhism, but it merges with the other highest goal of Buddhism, which is compassion, to respond to the world with compassion. 
And so how is it we can develop ourselves or find that merging of generosity uh, so that uh, some of the highest potentials we have as human beings get actualized? Um, there's a story, a Buddhist story, of a somewhat famous monk in the ancient world who was traveling around India. And because he was famous and for something, um, a king gave him a golden alms bowl, solid gold. And so he was traveling around with that. And so he, he was going to spend a night in a grove of trees, sleeping outdoors, which monks often did. And he noticed before he, before he was falling asleep that lurking in the trees nearby was a thief eyeing his golden bowl. Makes sense, right? Seems reasonable if you're a thief and you see a golden bowl. So um, he saw this and so he uh, got out of bed or got up and he got his bowl and he went over and handed it to the thief. Here, you take this. And the thief ran off with the bowl. And, uh, and he came back the next day and said, I'm here to be your student now. Because... Um, how is it that you could so freely give something away like that, that's so valuable? He was so struck by that, that he came back, gave the ball back, and then became a student. What is it that, uh, and I imagine that he gave the ball because the thief wanted it, um, and uh, because perhaps there's one story that, what, one interpretation is that he gave it away so the thief wouldn't have his, create bad karma of having to steal. So he was protecting the thief from his own bad karma. He saying, here, take it. Now you might argue, well, a monk, you know, monks already enunciant, doesn't need anything, you know, why, why, why would a monk care about a golden bowl? Um, and um, do you care about your golden bowls? What golden bowls do you have that you hold on really tight and you know, protective and very fearful of giving up? Um, it's been pointed out that um, oftentimes when people live difficult lives. They often tend to be more generous than if they live privileged lives, where there's a lot to protect and take care of, and you know, it's my stuff. And um, you know, I've been, I've, I've certainly been traveling all over the world, been struck by the tremendous outpouring of generosity from people I've met who are really, really poor, poor countries. And um, you know, they didn't give a lot, but they just the doors were open, their food, their tables were available. And I remember traveling around when I was. 17, you know, I was traveling around, you know, long haired hippie in, in rural Greece. And it was the first time I came across what I felt was a completely friendly, over the top friendly culture. We were just, you know, we were, people would invite us left and right. People were inviting us to their table, to their homes, to the picnics. And I'd never encountered such, you know, open generosity like that. Encountered it again uh, some years later when I was in a small country called Barbados, also a pretty poor country, and um, people just you know, you know, my stuff is your stuff here, take it. They didn't have much. Um, I can walk down El Camino here in Redwood City, and uh, I'm not going to get invited to picnics and dinners very often. <laughs> it's you know, probably not going to happen. Um, and. Um, the, um, and then in times of crisis also, it tends to bring out generosity in people. Like the fire in San Bruno, I was struck uh, looking at pictures of um, a shelter where it was 
big piles of food and water and clothes available for people. Uh, people are ready to give in situations where things are difficult. Or if you go backpacking, um, there's something about backpacking that for many people where they share with the other backpackers they're with and very freely. It's like, your stuff is my stuff kind of feeling, much more. I remember when after that year, that summer traveling, hitchhiking, hitch, traveling around like in, um, in Greece that summer, Greece, Yugoslavia, we're kind of like hippies traveling around. A group of pot of five of us. Uh, we shared everything we had. We didn't have anything. I mean, hardly. Uh, I had $50 for my travels. And um, so we shared food. We shared everything we, we had with our f- five of us. And, um, and what a shock it was to come back to high school in Los Angeles after that and, uh, and have my high school friends and not have that sense of sharing, not have a sense that, you know, my stuff is your stuff. I mean, if we went out, if we went out to some kind of, you know, went out in the evening or in the afternoon, my friends, and went to a restaurant or something or hamburger joint or something, and um, one of us didn't have much money, like, it didn't occur to the other people to share what they had. It's like, well, you, didn't, you, can't, you can't get the hamburger, you can get the french fries then, that's how it goes. And that was just kind of, was kind of a shock for me to feel, like, why would you naturally be generous and share, and we're all in it together, kind of feeling. Part of the function of liberation, or part of the consequence of liberation, is liberating ourselves from a tight, constricted sense of self. Liberating ourselves from the ways in which we live by fear, or live in greed, that creates very strong boundaries between what's mine and what's others. Very strong boundaries between um, self and others. And um, it's a beautiful thing to have these very strong boundaries and constricted ways of thinking of oneself and holding oneself uh, uh, melt away and fall away. To not have one's life motivated by fear, but rather with an open-heartedness and and generosity is a beautiful feeling. It doesn't feel good to be afraid. And um, uh, it doesn't feel actually good to be greedy and hateful and aversive and all these things. And to have those boundaries of self and others, these hard boundaries of strong emotions begin to fall away, um, uh, uh, the sense of my mind and other thing, but my and other begins to soften as well. And it, it softens in some beautiful ways. One way is uh, in the uh, development or the growth of compassion. And one way of understanding compassion is that uh, we understand that compassion is when someone else's sufferings, someone else's problems, someone else's difficulties become our own. Not that we're a victim to it or burden of it, but we don't, you know, we don't necessarily feel it's separate from us. It's, it's not like, oh, I'm so great and I'm going to go help this person because I, you know, I'm wonderful. Um, that's kind of an arrogance, a conceit that you're better than other people, separate from them. The compassion of Buddhism, the compassion of an open heart, is when we feel some ad- almost identity with people so we don't feel separate from them in their struggles. Uh, and so it's, it feels more natural to kind of help them. Um, one of the, I guess it was a kind of a generosity, perhaps. Hopefully this kind of speaks to it. Maybe I've told the story too many times, but it's a dramatic story. Of how, nat- how natural it can be to give oneself. You know, you don't even think you're giving yourself, it's just what you're doing. One of the big surprises for me in being a parent was um, to have my little kid be sick at night. And 
really sick, kind of flu or something, and, and he, he threw up. And as he was throwing up, it just seemed like the natural thing to do was to reach forward with my two hands, cup my hands together, and receive the vomit in my hands. That's, you know, and, and but what surprised me the most was I wasn't grossed out by it. It's just like, oh, that's what you do. Oh, just, you know. And um, now I, don't, I probably wouldn't do it for many of you. <laughs> but, but maybe, you know, I don't know. <laughs> don't test me. <laughs> don't test me. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it would. But, you know, you know who knows? You know, it's, but but uh, that sense of naturalness and ease, you know, there's no self, no, you know, just openness. You know, I've, uh, you know to experience that with, with even strangers, experiment with other ways and other ways with people is a beautiful thing. And it said the perfection of generosity comes when there's that unselfconsciousness in the generosity. Uh, it's, uh, it's so, so unselfconscious that there's no sense of a, you being a giver, no sense that someone is being, that there's a receiver, and no sense is even a gift. It's that kind of, it's, it's a, those three things disappear when generosity has been perfected. It's just kind of a flow, a natural thing that goes on. So on one hand, when the boundaries of self, the hard boundaries kind of dissolve a little bit, and we're more porous and more sensitive, empathy occurs. It's easier to feel empathy, feel caring, feel connected to people. And one of the things that happens is they're, they're suffering in a certain kind of way, healthy way, we experience as our own. The other side of generosity, of this porousness and openness that happens, is that uh, the things that are ours, we begin feeling, are, are yours. We don't want to hold on so tight, like this is just mine. My things are your things. My things, my time, my actions, my smiles, my, you know, who I am is partly you, partly for you. And so it feels very natural then to share. It isn't like, oh, I'm so good and special. Boy, I'm going to be this wonderful, perfect Buddhist. I'm going to give you my thing. It's not like that. Um, to be soft around these things, to be relaxed around these strong sense of identity is part of, uh, and possession is part of what happens in liberation. So the beautiful, I think, beautiful story of Suzuki Roshi, um, and, and I've told this story, I apologize before, but of him, hold, there's a photograph of him. Maybe you've seen it sometimes. He's holding up his glasses like this in front of him. And, um, and then uh, the people who are there when that picture was, to, uh, was taken um, tell the story that he was holding up his glasses and he said, um, these glasses are not my glasses, but you know about my poor, tired, old eyes, so you let me wear them. Isn't that nice? That's a whole different attitude than my glasses. So, part of Buddhist practice involves beginning investigating how we hold ourselves, how we hold our possessions, how we hold our ideals, our ideas, how we hold the sense of separation of self and others, how we hold other people in our eyes, and to begin to understand the variety of different uh, conditions or factors that come into play in all those relationships. And to understand that some of the ways which we relate to self and to others and possessions doesn't serve us, doesn't serve others, uh, doesn't serve the world. And then are there ways to shift that and change it so it, it serves us, serves others, serves the world? And that's part of the function of Buddhist practice is to do that investigation, but also to begin, um, not only investigate it, but also begin um, developing ourselves in such a way 
that our life, who we are, is not just is, is a benefit for the world, a benefit for everyone, for self and for others. We don't uh, do practice, Buddhist practice, just for ourselves, or to say it differently, it doesn't make sense to do Buddhist practice. At some point, it doesn't make sense to do it if you're only doing it for yourself. Maybe initially, many people do it for themselves, and that's fine. But you're not going to. At some point, you're going to stop doing it if you're just doing it for yourself. And and what keeps you doing it is the fact that you feel connected to others and how it's beneficial for the world and it's an offering to the world itself. Um, and so it's one of the ways that um, IMC is designed. Uh, you know, we're an all-volunteer organization, and um, and uh, when people when we were thinking about buying this building. There were a lot of people who came up to me and said, Gil, once you have a building, you're going to have to hire someone. You're going to have to hire staff to run things. And I said, nope, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're, we are not going to take that road because I felt that that would, that would change, that would create a different context, a different teaching, a different message about how we as a community practice together. And, um, and how we practice together is that those people who practice in a community like this are the ones who support the community. If this is your practice community, then this is the place you take care of. Not because you're required to, no one's required to at all. And it's very important that you sense no requirement. But it just, it's a natural thing. It's like, oh, this is, you know, it's as natural, hopefully as natural as for, some, for all of you to clean your own home that you would care about, you know, the cleaning of IMC or taking care of it. And in my mind, it was very important that people have a sense of that sense of connection. There's, a, there's an intimate connection between a spiritual practice you do and what you offer back or how you support the very community you practice with. If you're only a receiver in doing Buddhist practice, then maybe, there's not, maybe it's not really Buddhism. And um, if, you, if you're only a giver, maybe it's not Buddhist practice either. But uh, it's the combination of those two that work together that begins softening the interface between giver and receiver. That begins softening and relaxing and letting go of the hardness, the contraction, the constrictions, the, the fears, the greeds, the hates, the, you know, all the different issues that make a hard boundary between being a giver and receiver. And as, the perfect, as uh, generosity and giving become more perfect, as they say, it's a perfection, um, the sense of giving and receiving start falling away more and more. Um, there's a story, a Buddhist story, of a monastery where um, most of the monks and nuns at the monastery were happy to practice there, live there, long time without becoming teachers. But some of them were going to become teachers, Buddhist teachers. And so there was a, a preparation for that. Um, there was a teacher training program that they had. But before they, people entered the teacher training program, there was a preparatory period. They had to do, kind of prepare, they prepared themselves for the teacher training. And that preparatory period was, what they, what they did was a great secret. Teacher training wasn't a secret, but what happened in the preparation time was a secret. No one could know what it was. But it was rumored to be very difficult. And um, so people had some, you know, some trepidation on this difficult thing to do. And um, 
And what it entailed was um, for two years, they had to um, uh, practice generosity so that the recipient never knew who the giver was. That was the preparation. And two years was long enough that if they, um, to begin seeing the effect that their generosity had on others, without any sense of exchange or benefit that they got in, in return, you know, recognition, status, you know, gifts back or whatever, it had, to be, it had to be anonymous. No one had to know that they were doing this. And after two years, they'd realize that the giver benefited more than the receiver. When they realized that, then they were ready to start teacher training. Isn't that a great story? I think it's a great story. So here at IMC, um, we're set up all volunteers so that uh, that option, that opportunity is there. When, we, when I was first part of this group in 1990, we were very simple. We were a small little group of about 12, 15 people that met at the Presbyterian Church in Palo Alto. If you've ever been there, it's just a small little library room. It's and um, we had nothing, you know. Uh, the only thing we really had was the key to that little library room. And, um, and th- then we started, Spirit Rock started sending us flyers. So we had these, those are the two things. Oh, we had three things. We had a bell, we had a key, and we had these flyers from Spirit Rock. <laughs> and, um, and what was not, and we still get the flyers from Spirit Rock. <laughs> and we still have a key, and we have a bell and a few other things. And uh, all the bells we have are gifts from people. The Buddha we have is a gift from people. Everything here, you know, it's gifts, given. And, um, and uh, it, was pretty, it would have been pretty easy for me to have been the key holder, the bell holder, and the flyer holder. <laughs> you know, it was pretty simple. It wasn't like a complicated thing to do. But I felt from, right from the beginning that it was really important to give the opportunity to other people who wanted to to take responsibility for what they were doing. And so I said, anybody want to be, you know, do the flyers, you know, carry them back and forth, keep in the trunk of your car? Or anybody want to have the key and open up and close? Anybody want to, you know, have the bell, carry it back and forth? And, uh, and people said, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. And so right away there was a sense then, you know, that there are other people taking responsibility, connected. So you, some, I think the heart, it makes a difference to the heart to feel like they're, you're part of something. And um, I remember early on, we were, you know, maybe 20 people. One of the people who was doing the flyers back and forth, I don't know, said, okay, you're not, you're not, the, you're, you know, you're not the president. <laughs> you know, there's nothing going on, just the president of the flyers, but... <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that the sense of, you know, you know, involvement and ownership was important. At the same time at IMC, I think it's, uh, it's been very important to create an a, a, a environment where no one feels the pressure, the obligation to volunteer here, uh, to help support this community. Uh, because um, people have busy lives. People are very much engaged in all kinds of things. It's nice to have this as a ref- ref- refuge or resource where people can just drop in and learn what's here. So how to, how, to, how to handle that, how to balance those two things has been a part of the art of IMC. I don't know how well we've done, but uh, that's what we try to do. And, um, 
and, and we are also then very appreciative of the people that practice here. Just practicing together other people is an act of generosity. Or it's, a, it's a giving thing to do. It's a supportive thing to do. Uh, even if you're sitting here, you know, struggling with your misery, the fact that you're here practicing struggling with misery is meaningful for other people. It's difficult to practice. It's really helpful to be able to be in a room with other people who are doing it. And so each of you, even if you don't think of it as, as something you're offering, you're offering something when you practice here. And there's people who put a little uh, time, people who help, people, who, there's still people who have the key. And uh, actually, they don't have a key, they have the combination now. Um, but I have the key, I have the master key. <laughs> the combination doesn't work. And, um, the, um, and so there's people who help in all kinds of ways. And so I think it's a beautiful thing to appreciate those people. And... Um, uh, I, f- I feel tremendous gratitude and appreciation for the people who offer things at IMC. And, um, and uh, I know a lot of people here appreciate. And, and um, those of you who come here and, uh, and sit here and benefit from this place being here, um, I think it's probably uh, like good, good vitamins for your heart to uh, take a little bit of time to appreciate the fact that there's this large pool of people who make all this possible. This wouldn't be here without all these people who support and make it possible. And it's a really good vitamin to have. It's one that tastes good. The vitamin of, appreciate, of appreciation. And um, I don't know what the current count is, but uh, some years ago, it, uh, people who did accounting said that we had 150 volunteers. Everything from you know doing the flowers or small things into big things. People who spend hours and hours in helping in big ways. It's really amazing uh, acts of generosity that supports all this. There's a lot of teachings in Buddhism about generosity. And I'll just want to give a couple of them before we end here. Uh, one of them is um, the issue of well, who should I give to? And... Um, you know, there's so many deserving people, and and you know, should I, you know, how do I decide who's most deserving? You know, and there's people who. The, the Buddha kind of freed us up from being too heavy around this question. Uh, in his view, you should give what to uh, give where it pleases your heart. Give where it gives you a sense of joy. So uh, trust your heart. If you take, if your heart is open and sensitive to what goes on in the world around you. Um, then there's a lot of need in the world for sure. But uh, don't be burdened by the need. Be inspired by what pleases your heart. Be inspired by the goodness of your heart. If you, if you allow the goodness to be there, then give where it's pleasing. And maybe that's actually more important than to give out a sense of duty and heaviness. Maybe that doesn't help the world very much. But to give in a way where it comes out of your freedom and your goodness, your warm-heartedness, that actually maybe is more important than actually what you give. So that's one interesting teaching. The other interesting teaching he Buddha gave was he gave kind of a list of kind of different categories of people to give to. And he said, give to, um, first give to your family and friends. And that's a little bit surprising. But uh, what we find in Buddhism is repeatedly an emphasis on um, uh, uh, practice these Buddhist virtues first where it's easiest. And where, you know, it's, they say it's, I guess the theory is it's easiest in fr- family and friends. And then, but rather than staying tribal or staying, staying kind of, you know, bounded within your little circle of people, 
then the test, start where it's easy, cultivate it there, develop there, getting flowing there. And then the task is to universalize it. Expand the circle outward so you have wider circles. So then, and then the Buddha said, then give to people who are in need. There's a lot of, not a lot of need. And then give to uh, the people you, you practice with. Back then he said give to the monastics. But here in the modern world, I think it's appropriate to reword that and say to the people you the people practice, the people you practice with, support them. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to offer the world uh, uh, opportunities to practice, support for practice, and, uh, and support people to practice. I think there's uh, not much hope for the world unless there's some practice that helps us drop into the depths of our hearts and, uh, and challenge what is, resides at the depths that's not healthy and uproot it and liberate the heart from the unhealthy motivations, attitudes that we carry within us. And it's so easy to operate from fear. It's so easy to operate from greed. It's so easy to operate from hate. Um, it's so easy that many times people don't even see that it's operating. It just seems like it's part of the, just invisible, how it moves through them. And the world needs practices that can get down there and uproot that. And so instead of operating from fear, we operate from uh, generosity. Instead of operating from hate, we operate from love. Uh, instead of operating from uh, delusion, we operate from wisdom. And I think there's many different ways of developing the heart in that way. Buddhism doesn't have a monopoly on it. But for some peculiar reasons, that's not completely clear to me, um, uh, you're here today. <laughs> and, uh, and so we do it here as a community. Some of, our, some of you are maybe the first time. You know, some of you have been here for a long time. And I think it's a real um, special thing, a privilege to people gather together in this way to explore the heart, the Dharma together. It's not, an, not such a usual thing. And, um, and so I appreciate our community and I appreciate uh, all the volunteers. I, I, what I'd like to do, we have a couple more minutes. So first, everyone's welcome for the cake, right? I mean, if you, come, if you stay and nibble on the cake, just nibbling on the cake is sharing in the celebration which is a generous thing, so everyone feels like we're celebrating, appreciating, so, so you get the excuse to nibble. So please stay and meet our, meet our community if you're new. Or if you're not a volunteer, please stay and for a few minutes and just kind of appreciate. But what I'd like to do is to ask, um, uh, if you're willing, those of you who, have, who are volunteers in any kind of way at IMC or have been volunteers in the past, to take uh, just a stand for a moment. You willing to do that? So there's a lot of people. And um, so um, for everyone, both standing and sitting, the people you see standing are, have done, offered part of themselves to make this environment an environment of practice that supports people to practice to engage in the teachings. And it's a beautiful offering that you've done, in whatever you've done, in whatever way you've done it. And our community uh, uh, has tremendous appreciation, respect, and joy in what you've done. 
And I hope that you realize that and appreciate that. And those of you who are sitting, um, you know, if you're interested, these are the people who are kind of volunteering. Uh, you're welcome to talk to them during the, the uh, appreciation time. Uh, not necessarily to thank them, but uh, not necessarily to volunteer. But uh, <laughs> by any means, please don't feel like you have to. But, but uh, if you want to feel more connected to our community or find out what goes on here more, uh, these are people who can tell you all kinds of things. So thank you. So with that, I guess it's time for cake. <laughs> I have one announcement to oh, well, make. Yes. There's someone very special that um, we'd all like to thank who has been our teacher here for 20 years who has led the Sangha with deep generosity um, and love of the Dharma and deep compassion for all of us on our journey to end suffering. And so we would like to bow to you (laughs) with deep love and appreciation and respect for the 20 years you've given to the Sangha. I guess it was odd I didn't stand, right? (laughs) 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 Oh. (laughs) Wow. Wow, thank you. <laughs> this wasn't this wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> wow. Just as the river Ganges inclines towards the sea, slopes towards the sea, flows towards the sea, and reaches the sea, so too Master Gautama's assembly with its homeless ones and its householders inclines towards Nibbana, slopes towards Nibbana, flows towards Nibbana, and reaches Nibbana. Wow, there's a lot of stuff in here. Oh, I see this goes inside like this. Beautiful. Thank you very much. So let's have cake. <laughs>